Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. I'm your host, Jill Mokes, and this week I am joined by the fabulous Karina Gutst, who is the founder of Starcat. Well, her story is just captivating. I think you're going to love it. Karina, her passion is all about the Middle East. And she works in the realm of hospitality. So her background is luxury hospitality sector. And while working in that arena, she kind of recognized how important it is to foster a really comprehensive understanding of the Middle East, of its history, its culture, traditions, and how doing that is the key for companies who want to operate in that region or who want to look after high net worth clients who are coming from the Gulf area, from the Middle East. Our conversation is so interesting. Karina has some great stories. And the angle that we're really coming at in our conversation today is about dispelling stereotypes. And you'll understand why when we get talking and Karina tells you a bit about her own background. But of course, her work with people in the Middle East, it's a battleground of stereotypes all of the time for her to navigate. It can be a complex and challenging arena to work in. And Karina knows that the key is the relationship building and she does it so incredibly well. And now she helps others to build these relationships with clients in the Middle East. I can't wait for you to hear from her. So enough from me. Let's dive into the episode. Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. I'm Jill Mokes and I am obsessed with cutting through the noise when it comes to growing your business. Each week via intimate coaching conversations and inspirational stories, I share what it really takes to get the results you want in a way that feels right to you. I am all about attracting higher ticket opportunities, building authentic relationships and creating the abundant full fat version of your dream business. I mean, how many of us have beavered away creating a light version of what we really want? The thing is, I honestly believe when you're outstanding at what you do, there is no limit to what you can achieve. So, are you ready to put our heads together and make it happen? Let's go. Karina, hi. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. I am... I'm captivated by your story, to be quite honest with you. So I've been really looking forward to having this conversation and it's something really different. It's, it's an area that I'm really not that familiar with, but I'd love to kick off first of all, if you can just kind of a little intro to you, who you are and what you're doing at the moment. But then I really want to loop back because I want to get the story of the journey. What I do now is I train companies and professionals that have projects in the Middle East or that are looking to go out to the Middle East and get Middle Eastern clients on the culture and on how to build really good relationships, even if they're not out in the region all the time. And I also help companies that have Middle Eastern clients 
to connect with them better, get more clients through their existing ones, and just generally work a lot more on the relationships. So I'm very passionate, as you can hear, about the Middle East. And with the Middle East, I mean predominantly the Gulf area, so Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, and Oman. And I focus a lot on that. And I'm obviously, you know, my my very unique approach is I'm not Arab. I don't speak any Arabic. I'm a woman. And obviously I'm from the West and I never grew up there. So yeah. <laughs> so for everyone listening, now you get it. Now you get why I'm very captivated by this story of how did a woman from East Germany, well, first of all, a woman, <laughs> period, from East Germany, who isn't Arabic, has never been, doesn't speak the language, suddenly become this conduit between the Middle East and the Western cultures and get so good at building these bridges, these relationships. So I'm really fascinated about your whole story. So like I say, you, you're actually from East Germany originally, right? Correct, correct. One of the things that we do now is is very much dispel stereotypes and the reason I am so passionate about this is because I was a stereotype. And that goes back to what you were saying, that I grew up in East Germany. So I was 12 when the wall came down. And I remember very vividly some of these things that had happened before. And, you know, like growing up in East Germany, I mean, it almost sounds like a joke now. Like now we have like so much social media and everything is like on our fingertips. Like we had, you know, we, li I lived with my family in a block of flats. There were 10 flats. One of them had a telephone and that was not a mobile phone. Like nobody else did because there just wasn't there. Like there was a waiting list for used cars. And you're, once you were on the waiting list, your waiting list to get the car actually was 15 years. Oh my goodness. I know, I know. It sounds so far-fetched, but that was really the reality. If they had like bananas in the supermarket, you would queue for like two hours and you were lucky if you got a few. Maybe, maybe not, depending on, you know, how quick you were in the queue. It was kind of wild. And I think we were better off than most people because my dad actually went and, well, he he was a truck driver he was one of the few people that could actually go to the West and he went to France and Austria and stuff. And what he did was he saved all the money that they gave him to, you know, obviously buy food in the West. He never used that on food for himself. He actually used that to bring back stuff for us, things that we didn't have, like oranges and bananas and things like that. So he would take like the bread from home and eat like the old bread for like a week to save up all his money. And then if he had money left over, that was one of the other curious things in East Germany. You had these little shops in East Germany and they were called Intershop. And these were the places where you could buy Western goods, but only with Western money. And if you had Eastern money, it was so unobtainable. Like the exchange rate was so high, like it was impossible to buy stuff in there. But you could buy like jeans and things like that. So it was like literally like every day, like when we used to go to these shops, once in a blue moon, it was like Christmas and, wow. you know, birthday all looped in one. You could get stuff that you couldn't get anywhere. So you mentioned jeans. Would that be an example of something that that would be hard to buy in the normal shops? Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't. I'm 55 this year. And so I can remember, I remember vividly the wall coming down and I've, and I can still remember the mystery behind 
East Germany, which, you know, second only to Russia and, and China, I guess, in, in terms of mm. rumour and mystery and, and probably gossip and lots of st- tall stories. So it's really interesting that actually some of the things you heard about were true. You know, it was a very different life for you then. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, it's like you couldn't go, the only place you could go on holiday would be like, let's say the Eastern Bloc, Prague, so Czech Republic, Hungary, Russia, but it was still unaffordable. Like normally people couldn't go, like we we could never go. We just didn't have the means. And you barely had heard about other places. So it was really interesting. And so imagine coming from this kind of setting where pretty much everybody had very similar, there wasn't really that much divide of somebody who was really well off and other people who weren't, or at least not in my community. We were all kind of pretty, pretty much the same. Yeah. And, and then of course the wall came down and initially I think there was a lot of, you know, euphoria and people were really happy. But then that also meant that a lot of people that had jobs, my parents included, they like these companies started to disintegrate and people were suddenly all of a sudden jobless and everybody around you was was suddenly jobless. And of course, in the grander scheme of things, you know, we we didn't know that much. Of course we didn't, because how would we? And uh, And like for me... That was then something because I was in this sort of teenage phase. And by the time I came to about 18, 19, when I wanted to go and start a job and like there was only like, are you going to go to university? And I was like, I didn't really know what to study. One of the things that I knew was like I wanted to work with people and I didn't really want a nine to five. So I thought, okay, hotels may be a good thing. So first of all, it was not that easy to find a hotel because there was like maybe one or two decent hotels close by and everybody wanted to work there. And it was next to impossible to even get sort of like a traineeship. So I had to look further afield in the West. So I did. But then of course, when I then came to the West, I was the classical stereotype because I came from East Germany and people were like, you don't know anything. And really at this point, I didn't. But I hated it because people always used to say, oh, but you're from the East. You don't know anything. Yeah. And I didn't know anything because I had never eaten prawns. I had no idea about wine. And I was in the hotel where this was this wine region and part of the curriculum was wine. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, because I had never heard these things. And it was really annoying. And and I felt it was like, and I, I think I didn't really know what it was, but it felt really annoying to be like stereotyped as the person from the East who didn't know anything because I then, you know, studied really hard to learn all of these things because I just didn't know. Yeah, I was just going to say there's a really big difference, isn't there, between not knowing things and being incapable of learning things and I think part of that stereotyping is this writing off of people because an assumption is made that they don't know something and so little tolerance for well okay they have a different background to me but I'm sure they're just as capable of picking stuff up as I am you know and I think that's the annoying thing about being stereotyped is that an assumption is made which partly might be true, but then it's extrapolated into something bigger, isn't it? 100%. And, you know, I think 
it was just down to a lack of awareness and people just didn't know what we in the East had been through, but also uh, vice versa. You know, people in the East didn't know what, what the West had go- gone through. And that, that then actually became very apparent to me mm. when I met my husband who was from the West and he and his family were actually really open and they weren't really stereotyping. But my grandparents at the time, my grandfather used to say, hmm, who is this? guy from the West from, I'm sure his family is really arrogant. I was like, what on earth is happening? So it came again, the other way around. So it came from the other side. Yes. Wow. It was just insane. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons for me looking back now why I escaped to London, because I'm like, I don't want these people to tell me, oh, you're from the East. Where are you from? Are you from the East, from the West? People still ask me this to this day. It's so wild. Do people still ask that? Yeah. I was just going to say, I um, assume that now that's just so not a thing anymore. No, people still say and they're like, oh, so where are you from in Germany? Oh, from, oh, that's in the East, right? Oh. I thought we'd gone we gone through yeah. this like when? a long when time ago. Yeah. So so with that all in mind, obviously you can clearly see I had no exposure to any Arabic culture. There was never an Arab that I met in my life before I came to London. And because I had then trained, oh, and I should also say, you know, because I wanted to prove all of them wrong and because I felt like, oh my God, I'm going to fail because I just don't know anything. I think I studied harder than everybody. And I actually had the best exam in my in my year for the whole region at the time and then I came to London and again this was a whole new world because that was really different to what I had experienced and going back to stereotypes sorry there's just one more thing I have to say because initially I thought oh maybe because where I had studied was close to Frankfurt which is obviously a big city in Germany and I thought oh maybe I'll just go into and apply to some of the five star hotels after you know I'd done a really great exam and everything you know surely that would, could be an option so what I did it was in Germany it was different it was kind of like what they called this apprenticeship you studied and you also did practical work and the practical work that I had done was in a four star hotel so I applied to these five star hotels and they were very much like oh, but you come from a four-star hotel. You can't possibly get into five-star. I was like, what the hell? This keeps happening. Like, I need a way out here. This is no good. (laughs) These are not the usual stereotypes that we think of. I do a lot of work with clients around DEI and, and things like that. And these elements, they don't feature in the conversation. Stereotyping people from East Germany versus West Germany, and then and seeing in every avenue, you were just coming up against it time after time, right? Mm. And I think that's why I came to London. And it was at the time again, it was in the very beginning of the internet. You know, like I had my little guide, like a booklet, and I was like, okay, which ones are the best hotels in London? So I picked out seven, sent my application by letter. I mean, who does this these days? You know. And I actually got seven interviews. And then I thought, okay, I'm just going to book a cheap flight, stayed in a hostel and stayed there for like three days and went from interview to interview to interview. And I landed a job actually at, and I don't know, maybe this some of your uh, listeners will know or will not know, at the Dorchester in London. I think all my listeners will know the Dorchester. 
And yeah, so, and I mean, this was like early 2000s. So it was like the heyday of all the Middle East coming over and everything. And I was like, to me, it was like, oh my God, like, this is insane. I've never seen anything like this. But it was really funny because a lot of people that I've worked with were very much like, oh, these people are so difficult. Like, I really don't want to deal with them. So I always ended up with the most difficult client. And they would say, oh, this client is from Kuwait. Like, he's so tricky. He shouts at everybody. But he would never shout at me. And he would also tip me because I would take a bit of an interest. And I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, I'm doing something right here. The guy obviously never shouts at me. And people would be like, oh, it's okay. You can can deal with them. For me, it was just like, okay, I'm just taking a bit of an interest. I'm asking a few questions, you know, and I would start building up these relationships. And then I would be like, where can I find out more information about these people? Because there really isn't anything. And at the time, it was really funny because there was a guy who worked with me who had been there for 30 years and um, he knew everybody and he knew all the head of states and he knew all the like who had fallen out with whom and who had made up and what were all the backgrounds. And I kind of then became his right hand person you know, when he would be off, he would kind of leave me in charge and then see how I would get on. It wasn't like something, oh, I'm going to serve this to you on a silver plate. He would be like, okay, well, let's see how she can cope with this kind of stuff. And obviously I did fairly well because the clients liked me and then he started to trust me more. And then I used to ask him all these stuff. So who is this? Explain to me this. Because again, there wasn't much information. And then, you know, and this went on for years. And and some of the people that I've met back then, I, I'm still in contact with them now because, of course, it's much easier. And then I realized very quickly that obviously people like a lot of the Westerners just don't know. And I think it kind of had been lingering a lot. And COVID for me was the big was the big shift where I thought, oh my God, there's so many more people that need to know about this. And not only that, because COVID also coincided with Saudi opening up. And then at this point, I think a lot of people were very used to Dubai and they were very you know, happy to go to Dubai. But Saudi was a whole different thing. Mm. And people would be like, oh, and you're a woman. And then I was still working with hotels. And a lot of the people in the hotels would then always say, Oh, but for the Middle East, maybe Karina, you need, you need, you need somebody else to help you. Maybe like a man and somebody who speaks <laughs> Arabic. And I'm like, no, because that's never what I got from the client. Because the client actually from the Gulf, they really appreciated that I wasn't Arabic. I didn't speak Arabic. I couldn't overhear their conversations. And. Maybe this goes back to my German roots. I was very efficient. Like whatever they asked me would be done. And they'd be like, this is nice. I actually always found, and again, this is like another stereotype. And I'll talk about a few more then in a second that people actually liked working with me. And I said to to other people that were in the same area, especially ladies, I said, you know, don't let anybody tell you that being a female is a disadvantage because it's not. Because if you go to the Middle East, it's a massive advantage because in the Middle East, for people that don't know, sometimes families can be very traditional. And if you are a man and the family is very traditional, you cannot go and see the woman. But even if the family is very traditional, as a woman, you can still go and see the man and you can go and see the woman. So you can cover both. And people had never thought about it like that. That's a really interesting point. Definite advantage. I've been to dinners in Saudi where there were like 
30 men and me. And nobody cared to the opposite. They were like, this is great. Come along. But again, I think I also see, and this is the stereo where this sort of stereotyping comes full circle, why I also want to educate people more is because people just don't understand. And the amount of stuff that people from the West have asked me, like, do they actually live in tents? Do they have cities? Um, do they speak English? Somebody asked me that the other day. And I was like, you know, they probably speak better English than you because they've been educated in the UK or in the US. So there's all of these kind of things that are still lingering where I just also think they are very misunderstood. And for me, coming from being very misunderstood, I just feel a massive passion to help other people just to educate them a bit more because mm. fundamentally, I think a lot of the golf people are very hospitable and they will literally bend over backwards to help you with stuff. And this is, to me, this is just something that I've never found in any other culture. And so that's why I feel so passionate that they are not misunderstood. Because they are misunderstood, aren't they? I don't have any experience of working with people in the Middle East. And I I guess we all kind of accept the stereotype until we have something to prove it wrong, don't we, almost? I think that, unfortunately, it does become a bit of a default setting. And so my assumption was that it would be difficult that you know as a woman to deal with men in the Middle East and and my assumption would be that it would be a more hostile kind of reception but you're saying that no that's just not true not at all not at all and every single time I had somebody from there from Saudi when I used to come and I have some beautiful stories honestly so for example this just happened recently I had a lady who was actually um, she was interviewing for a really high-end role in Saudi and she hired me to, you know, just ask a few questions. So she hired me for half an hour because she wanted to know when she was going over to the interview, how should she dress? What should she know? And it, it was just really nice. We had a great conversation and I recorded a little video and I put that video on Instagram and on TikTok. And one of my Saudi clients that I didn't even know Oh, I hadn't even spoken to him in ages and I didn't even know he was on TikTok and he was following me. Yeah. Sent me, he saw that video and he sent me a message saying, please send me the lady's detail. Give her my number. We will look after her if she needs anything while, while she's out here. It's like, it's not a problem. Like your friends are my friends. And he was so sincere. And I was like, just blown away. And that's the kind of stuff that happens time and time and time again out there. People will literally go above and beyond to help you. And, you know, and I, and, and that's where I think, you know, I can help to open up and, and show this to more people. I mean, what a love, first of all, what a lovely story, you know, how nice that he did that. But also, this is a testament, I think, to what I believe your business is based on, which is relationship building. And relationship building in spite of stereotype, dispelling stereotypes, like, like you said before, it's, it really is. It's about dispelling the stereotype, ignoring the stereotype, and then forging a relationship on a treat-as-you-find kind of basis. Just going back to then your, you know, for the Dorchester, and then it became apparent to you that there was definitely some opportunity. 
for this to be a wider thing. This wasn't just necessarily a hospitality thing. There was a gap in people's knowledge about what was possible or what was available to them in terms of trading and, and in building relationships with people in the Middle East. So tell me, how did you, how did StarCat come to be? So StarCat actually came to be, it's really interesting because the first few years when I had StarCat, it was more like it it was kind of born out of a necessity because my my son was very small and I needed to have a bit more flexibility with hotels with working. And, you know, to be a full-time employee, they couldn't really treat me any different to everybody else. But if I became an Right person, then that would be a little bit easier. So the first few years, I say, I'm not really a proper entrepreneur, <laughs> in my opinion. And I feel like it kind of changed with COVID because in COVID, I did a lot of, well, first of all, I think a lot of the stuff that I had kind of seen this trend that you know the Middle East became a lot more educated on travel, like the budget like before there were no budgets, you know, and, you know, in fairness, a lot of companies took a lot of advantage of that because it was a lot of money for them. But then people started to get a lot more educated and there were budgets and things. And some of that travel wasn't as much as it was in the early 2000s. And I thought, maybe this isn't going to be my end all just looking after people because also like the pressure if you work in hotels you know to make certain budgets is quite high and I kind of thought but also there's something here where I can kind of help both sides not just hotels also other companies as well because they just don't have an understanding and like I said before it coincided with Saudi opening up and Saudi opening up in a way that nobody saw coming because even some of my Saudi friends tell me if you had told me 10 years ago that we would have what we have now, I would have said to you, you're absolutely crazy. Mm. Because I used to go to Saudi when you couldn't get a tourist visa. As a woman, you had to get changed on a plane. You had to cover your hair. You had to be mindful of the religious police, all of these kind of things. And it's not like that anymore, but that's what people still think. And that's what lives in people's minds. They're like, oh. Still have the stereotype. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, again. And because it changed so fast and this whole thing evolved so fast and it it happened very much with COVID, I thought, I mean, I don't think COVID was the reason for it, but that just happened to coincide with all the changes. And I thought, my God, there's got to be something more that I can do with this and also like foster this understanding. And, And also one of the things I saw that a lot of companies sometimes they would take the clients from the Gulf and they would take all the money, but they wouldn't really deliver on the service. And that really annoyed me because I thought this is not just a money-making exercise here. So I had people and I still have people from the Gulf and they come to London that like now call me. And for me, I really want to give them an honest opinion on, you know, they say to me, oh, what is this hotel versus this hotel? And, you know, do you think the price is justified? And and sometimes the high prices are justified, don't get me wrong, but sometimes they are not. And I can tell them, you know, this one, this hotel actually does a lot more for you and you will get better service. And I've seen the service. So then I recommend a lot more independently than just being 
with one place where you just represent one place. So I feel like now I've come a lot more into my own. Yeah, and sort of like expanding my business. I've done some speaking gigs in Saudi. Have you? Tell me about that. Yes. So um, when I really like branched out on my own, I think it was sort of like, I think it must have been 2021, maybe 2022. I can't remember either one of those. And I got invited. There was like a travel and tourism conference in Riyadh. And it was the first one. And there were some people on there that I knew. And they were like, oh, you know, we'd love for you to come on a panel. And I was like, yeah, that's great. I'll come on a panel. So I was like, okay, panel I can do, no problem. And and then they said, oh, but we thought with your profile, you would actually be really great for a keynote. And I thought, oh, my God, like I've never done one before, but I will do it. So I did. And it was really, it was good. And then they invited me back for the second year. And the second year actually had a much better topic, a topic on how to attract Saudi Arabian clients, because there was a lot of tourism providers there from around the world. And I was like, oh my God, this is a great topic. Like I can talk about this. So I went the night before I went for the run through and there was somebody there who's Saudi, who is in charge of one of the protocols for one of the royals. He listened to part of my, when we were doing the run through and he was like, oh my God, Karina, this is amazing. He's like, you know, all these people need to hire you. He said, because I was in New Zealand for a week and I was trying to explain to them what I needed and they didn't understand. (laughs) And that was exactly some of the things that I was explaining. And it was so sweet. And I thought that was so nice that I had this from a local. And I was like, that's exactly why I do what I do, because I just want to give you the tools to be more successful with these clients. Because they appreciate it and they really appreciate when you take a bit of an interest in their life. And I generally find it fascinating. So for me, this is not very hard. And there must be so much opportunity as well that people don't see because they have bought into the stereotypes. They've bought into the stories they've heard and the stories from a long time ago, and they don't realize things have changed. So there must be tons of missed opportunities. For women as well. I mean, for women particularly, I'm thinking, you know, there must be. Yeah, there is. And they always, like, again, one of the ones that people always say to me, oh, you know, but like women are really repressed and, and, oh my God. So there's a, there's a, actually I have two stories on this. So I have a Saudi friend and she went to Switzerland to one of the, these health retreats and uh, she had a massage and the therapist said to her, oh, where are you from? And she thought, oh, should I say Saudi or should I not? That's the first thing already. Like, you shouldn't have to worry. But I get that because I used to be hesitant saying, oh, I'm from East Germany, you know, because of what people would think. So she said, yes, I'm from Saudi. And the therapist then turned around and said, oh, you're from Saudi. But in Saudi, all the women are unhappy and oppressed. And she was like, excuse me, I'm not unhappy and I'm not oppressed. I didn't get the memo. (laughs) No. So that was really funny. And then to counter this, I always say, and again, this is something that a lot of people don't know, you know, in the diplomatic world, the number one ambassadorial posting is the US, the number two is the UK. Mm -hmm. So, and guess what? The Saudi ambassador to the US is a woman, Princess Rima. And she's been in in that position since I think 2019, if I'm, uh, if I'm remembering correct. 
And her dad actually used to be one of the longest standing Saudi ambassadors. But I'm like, how much more of a statement can you make if you have the number one ambassadorial posting in the US and you have a woman? But again, a lot of people just don't know this kind of stuff. So that's why I'm here to bring more awareness to it and tell people about it. And you are so passionate about it and you make it super interesting because I I love your stories. And so tell me about what what's the main source of the work you do now? Is it mostly still with people coming over or are you finding that it is more working with people over here now and working on that relationship building going that way? It's a real mix. And that's, I think, what I love. So while we're recording this, tomorrow, one of my big clients from the Gulf is actually coming to London. And they only told me yesterday, which is, again, it's very classic. So they said, ah, you know, the boss is coming over. We call him the boss. But the boss is not just coming by himself. He's coming with 12 other people. So and they all have different needs. So I'm like, okay, no problem. Leave it with me. Tell me who's coming and I'll sort it out. So that was one of the things that I was sorting out. But then the other thing is then next week, I'm actually doing a webinar for a US-based hotel company with all their salespeople about how they can work better with their Middle Eastern clients. And then I'm doing another webinar or a training session with somebody from a UK-based law company that is hosting an event in Saudi. It's a lady, but she's never been to Saudi and she knows nothing about Saudi. So it's very, it's very varied. And what I love about this is that in order for me to also stay on top of my relationships with my golf clients, what I teach to my Western clients is exactly what I use for my golf clients. Right. This is when I reach out to them. This is what I say to them. This is how I sell to them. This is what they tell me is new. So it kind of keeps me on both sides. You know, I always get the latest information from there because people from there tell me. And that's then something that I can teach. And all the things that I teach are proven. So for example, I had an Emirati client and he said to me, because I always see your updates on social media and you're always one of the very few people who reaches out to things on dates that are really important to me. He said, that's the reason I'm calling you because you're always on my mind. And I'm like, and that's exactly what I teach my Western clients. This is the way to do it because I can show you proof because it works for me. So this is not just something that I just, you know, made up. I have to say, Karina, I think you are an incredible relationship builder. I mean, you know, we met through the women's chapter, didn't we? And you were the first person, I think, to reach out to me and welcome me. And, and, you know, we had a call quite quickly. I think you're a real natural relationship builder. So it just makes complete sense that with the background you have and the passion you have for getting past these stereotypes, because of your own experience, it all, everything about your story makes complete sense. I have a question about opportunity for women service providers with who would love to access a new market who, you know, I, and I suppose I'm thinking about, you know, the brand strategists, the copywriters, the coaches, the consultants, you know, what would your advice be to those women? Cause I'm mostly, most of my audience is female. What would your advice be to women who I'm listening to this and thinking that is fascinating. Like I would love to understand a bit more about how I could 
leverage relationships further afield, not just from between England and the US and England and Europe. What would your advice be to those women? I mean, I think for people that, for example, want want to start learning a little bit more about the Middle East and where their opportunities are, I would say, and I will give you the link, we have a really good newsletter that gives you a little bit of an insight. We do a newsletter twice a month where we talk about all these new projects. And there's so many projects, like in particular in Saudi, it's crazy. So the the projects that they're doing for tourism, for digital, for construction, I mean, it's endless. And I just read a statistic that the total value of the projects is, I think, over 600 billion and only 10% of the projects so far have been awarded. And one of the other things I think to know as well is that in Saudi particular, 63% of the population is under 35. And they all want to learn and they want to get the best talent and they want to also encourage their own young Saudis to start learning about all of these things. So of course, they need to look to further out to see where can they do that and how can they collaborate? And there is actually money in the government for these kind of things. So for example, we have a friend who is a Saudi chef and she is the head chef for one of the restaurants in Riyadh. And she decided, very successful, she decided she wanted to learn a little bit more about pastries. She found a course in Switzerland and then she applied with the government and said, oh, I found this course. I really want to do some more and learn more about these pastries that I can then also train to some of my team. So the government was like, absolutely. Here's the money. Go do the course and then come back with these kind of skills. So there's a lot, I think there's a lot of opportunity in every kind of sector. I would say, I think you just have to know where to find, where to find it. And for example, LinkedIn, I always bang on about LinkedIn because like a lot of the Saudis are on LinkedIn, even like the princes, the ministers, everybody's on there. You can learn a great deal on LinkedIn about these projects. And I think it's just, you know, trying to understand maybe a little bit more about these projects, where would your product or your service fit in? And then just reaching out and like networking yeah. on LinkedIn because people are very responsive and people are there and and you can see what's happening. So so I think we are so blessed now. We have all the social media. We can reach out with all these different tools. I mean, I remember when I started off, you know, you would have to call somebody and you would call the palace in Saudi and it was anyone's guess who was on the phone. So. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I think this is so interesting. And what I'm hoping is that people listen to this and and really think about the judgments that they make about the way things are in the Middle East. And I know that some people listening to this will be thinking, well, I don't know if I would want to do business with a nation that maybe sees women as second class citizens to men, you know, as one of those kind of cliched phrases that people like to use. But I suppose what I'm hoping for with this conversation is that we can all realise that things don't change unless we're open to things changing. And that relationships that no one should, the women in the Middle East shouldn't be penalised by, that's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy then. If we don't, as as women over here who take offense to the way things are, if we then penalize that nation by saying, well, I wouldn't want to do business with that 
country. It kind of feels like it's it's stopping any kind of progress. And I think the women in the Middle East deserve better than that, really. And they deserve to have opportunities and not suffer from the stereotypes that are a lot of them, like you've said, are outdated now. A lot has changed mm. already. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. Such an interesting conversation. So you mentioned your newsletter. Where should people go if they would like to sign up? Because I think, well, I definitely want to. <laughs> so the newsletter is on our website. There's a little button there to join. It, and the website is star-cat.co.uk. And I'll tell you a little story about that because people are like, what the hell is this yeah, name? That like, yeah. Is it like a face cat or something? <laughs> And I'm like, no, it's got nothing to do with a cat. Basically, the title is actually thought out, but I do, I do have to tell people the story. So star stands for five star because obviously, as you heard, my background is in five star hotels and cat is consulting and training. Ah, nothing to do with a cat whatsoever. Nothing star, to do with a cat. Star hyphen cat, C-A-T dot co dot UK. And I'll pop a link to that in the show notes, of course. So head over there, subscribe to Karina's newsletter and educate yourself, Edu find out how things really are and how, how we can change things by building these relationships. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And, and really it, it is fascinating to me how, you know, as a victim of stereotyping as someone from East Germany, you've gone kind of full circle and come back to actually I'm now working with people who are the victims of, of stereotyping the way I was. And yeah, we have no time for that anymore. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Thank you for coming on. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I hope you'll come back again at some point. Definitely. Thanks so much, Karina. Bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that getting our heads together this week has filled your mind with what's possible. If you love the show, would you do me a massive favour, please? Would you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? It would really help me put more heads together, reach more ears and expand more minds. Until next week, bye for now. Bye.